Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How are you doing, Internet? It is August 11th, 2017, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio. I did have to look. I'm not Austin Walker. I'm Danielle Riendo. I'm the managing editor. I'm not the editor-in-chief. You're getting the stand-in. Austin is jurors today. He's jurors. He's jurorsing out. He's jurorsing it up. And Patrick is head down on a story. He's he's doing some very intense reporting. So you've got us today. So again, I said I'm Danielle. I'm, I'm joined by Natalie. Hi, I'm Natalie. It's uh, Natalie's last day. Yes, I was uh, the Waypoint intern this summer. The first of any other, no intern will ever You're be the able first. to replace me. I actually but. think that's true. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I genuinely actually think that's true. Nobody can replace you, Natalie. You, you, and that's why we're sealing you inside Lobby One. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so you can serve us You're in You're never death. leaving. <laughs> yep. I, uh, I'm fine with that, actually. Welcome. I'm totally fine. I don't want to be free. I want to be locked in Waypoint. <laughs> locked in Lobby One. Locked in Lobby One. Be careful what you wish for. Rob is also joining us. Hello, Rob. How's it going? It's it's great. We have been streaming a lot today. Today's been a day of streaming. Thank you, Joel, for helping us out. Joel's doing a, a cool walk. He's doing like a crab walk. <laughs> he's he's dedicated to the professionalism of this not looking bad, and I, I appreciate that. Making it. <laughs> you know that too. Thank you. Uh, so we have a very exciting Waypoint Radio here today, and it's going to be a little bit of a shorter show. Uh, not like you know we're not going to skimp on you, but we're gonna we're gonna breeze right through. So I think the first thing we should talk about is our uh, – we should do, like, a little family update of uh, PUBG. We've all played it now. Natalie, you have been playing PUBG, a.k.a. Battlegrounds, a.k.a. Murder, Murder 1. In Patrick's words. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I've been playing it. I've finally been playing it. And uh, like I said, it's been a, a long time coming. It's uh, – I have had it for a very, very long time, and I've just never <laughs> – gotten myself to to play it and so now uh i've played on stream all week which has been very fun uh i've been brought in by the family you're you're cousin stun i am cousin cousin stun okay and i feel like i may be adopted because (laughs) i just like got brought in yeah you know i was like hired so i was like picked the adopted child of the murder family i was found Also, I, I just realized Danica's in the shot here. That's Danica. Am I? Cousin cousin Gun. Stun, Your stunning sister, gun. I'm sister gun. Yeah, sister gun, okay. Smrise. Smrise. You you're doing good. We're all doing good. All right, well, that's who's in and, and of course we have our, our lovely producer Rob in the background. So everybody who's in the room is introduced now. So Natalie, what do you what do you think 
of playing the game. I, w- I want to hear your thoughts on the game itself and also like playing a game in a really like high pressure and performative environment, which is being on a stream in front of people playing and learning this game sort of on on the fly. Here. Yeah, it's uh, it's scary. I mean, it's not <laughs> the first time um, that I've been on a live stream. So I used to do a weekly D&D live stream uh, for several months. Um, and so I definitely am I'm used to that kind of like performative aspect where you have to kind of you you assume a character or you have to just be very vocal and uh, be, you know, um, I'm used to definitely engaging with chat a lot more. But I also my chat was like maybe a couple hundred people. Sure. And this is a lot more well, it's, chatters to, to yeah. chat with. So chatters, that's, yeah. That's a that's a lot. Um so I used to do that, and now playing PUBG, I mean, I was never a first-person shooter person. Sure. Um, the last first... Or, like, competitive online shooter yeah, environment. Until, yeah, yeah, until yeah. Overwatch came out, and then I jumped on that bandwagon hard <laughs> and played a lot of... Um, played a lot, a lot, a lot of Overwatch. And so I think the, 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 the hardest thing with playing PUBG, honestly, is unlearning my Overwatch habits and trying to, like, just realizing that, oh, Overwatch is not, like, a mechanical standard, and also PUBG is not a mechanical standard hmm. either. So, like, PlayerUnknown's ba- un- Battlegrounds, like, is different from other um, uh, competitive shooters. For, mainly it's uh, mostly in third person and the the the... I don't know. There's a lot that I don't know about competitive shooters in general, and and these are also like kind of anomalies from the usual genre. So I think that with those two things in mind, I have a lot to learn. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's been very fun. It's I've I've had such a blast this week uh, playing on stream with everyone. It seems like a scarier game than I thought it would be. I, I played a tiny bit as well, but uh, you know I have a little bit of control problems since I need to be on a controller. I can't like my wrist is so fucked up that like I have to have a controller to control games at this point in life, and like controller support ain't a hundred percent there yet so yeah. uh, but but even just like playing for a few minutes or you know kind of here and there I'm like wow this game is actually terrifying it there there's a lot that you know it lulls you into a, a bit of a false sense of security and then obviously because of the game design it's starting it actually sort of introduces tension and drama at the drop of a hat yeah. and it's like oh I'm dead cool yeah uh, which is very interesting <laughs> cool that was fun <laughs> cool I'm dead thanks for having me yeah thanks this is Waypoint Radio. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for having me. I'm dead. I'm dead now. <laughs> now I'm dead. Do you find it like is tricky to get in in and out of uh, high pressure mode? Like with Overwatch, it's always happening at a really brisk pace. Mm-hmm. It's a fast paced mm-hmm. game, but PUBG seems like because it's sort of coming from more of a military sim background, a lot of it's kind of leisurely, a lot of slow paced, a lot of like deliberative pacing until stuff starts to happen. At which point. It sort of seems like you've got to be all you, you have to come right up to speed like instantaneously. Yeah, it's definitely the pacing is a lot different. And the fact that you may not run into action for five, 10, 15 minutes, and then all of a sudden you're thrust in in just bloodshed is <laughs> is very difficult to grab. It's it's hard to like turn on that quickly into like immediate like those those reactions where where in Overwatch you're constantly reacting and so you're kind of in like a like a consistent 
like pace of action reaction action reaction whereas in 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 pubga you're you're often stationary or you're just kind of idle looting but you're like I, I've, I've noticed that like sometimes like the way Austin will loot or sometimes the way he moves around he makes it like very like cinematic's not the right word but he's like very engaged and he's like the he like has this sort of rhythm where it, it doesn't feel as abrupt when when he engages with other players or when he finds like enemies and so I think that it's just kind of finding there it's there's definitely something about finding your own rhythm in the game and as well as being able to go from zero to 100, like, in a second. <laughs> which that seems is, like a skill. <laughs> which is definitely something that you have to learn. Um, I'm learning, so. Yeah. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem easy. I don't know uh, how successful I'll ever be at PUBG, but I appreciate it <laughs> as an interesting what? game design. <laughs> Since uh, since Natalie's time here is coming to an end, uh, and this will be the the praise Natalie show. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, in some ways, why don't you tell us of your greatest triumph? Uh, like, what, like, is there been a, like, like, if you had a kill where you were like, oh, I get it. Like, I get why people are addicted to this game. Uh, yeah, I guess my first kill, uh, which I was sitting here um, alone. Uh, Joel was was we were on our our test account. And Joel was uh, watching from somewhere else, and it was I was alone in the studio, just you know playing PUBG, just like messing with it, trying to get like a lot of frame rate action, and just like just you're just, just messing, messing around, around. Just oh, messing yeah. Around. <laughs> and then I'm like coming out of this house, and I jump off the the balcony onto another balcony, and. Uh, I get shot at, and I'm like, oh, shit. So I jump off that balcony. I run around the house, and then with a pistol equipped, I uh, got into, like, a one-on-one with this other player and, like, ended up winning that, <sighs> that, that battle. And that was super satisfying because it was, like, I, I thought I was completely alone, but I also had time to, like, prepare and, like, move move around and like and get in a good position in which like I felt like this was almost like a nice sort of uh tutorial in which I like had someone and it was just the two of us and they were like right there square in front of me and I could just go one-on-one with them and then I also on Tuesday I think it was I got in a punch off off camera (laughs) and uh I won that punch off and then Danica and I like came live and we were like, hey, we're running around. And that punch off was pretty good, too. But I feel like punch offs are kind of a gamble. Like it's it's whoever is punching in the right punch spot. Yeah. Danica had a little punch off today uh, during a stream and it didn't go super well. Sadly, she got uh, she was in a punch off with another lady. She was executed. It was, uh, it was very intense. Yes. And then she got knocked down and then execution style. Yeah. Her opponent's partner came over and shot her in the back of the head. And it was, was shotgun. It was violent. That is. And a crime. Yeah. And should have been illegal. So yeah. I, I agree. Those are my thoughts on. But yeah, it's it's uh, I haven't I haven't had enough time to play on my own yet. So I've, I've only really been playing here. Uh, when I feel like, oh, I want to get as far as I can, but I also want to, like, make it entertaining, so I want to get into, like, gunfights. But I think 
as I have time to play on my own, I will just be able to kind of practice. Yeah. Practice, get better. You know. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, you, you get your time in with the murder. Yeah. And murder makes perfect. Murder, yeah. makes, murder perfect. Practice makes perfect. Murder practice makes perfect. Speaking of practicing and murder, Rob, I know you're playing at least a couple of games that have murder in them. Oh. If not murder, murder. There's murdering Maybe mechanics. Not murder. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 sort of the mass murder of a Civil War war game. Gotcha. Uh, there's sort of the uh, slower-paced murder of Battle Brothers, uh, sort of like, you know, squad on squad. And then there's the... Um, so I've gotten back into Titanfall 2. Oh, so mech murder. Uh, yeah. Mech murder. Well, yeah. so I'm finally playing that campaign. I've like actually not picked up that campaign since uh, I started here because I got distracted by a bunch of other stuff. And the mission I'd left off on was... Um, Effect and cause. Oh, good. And so that's the, uh, so I'm finally playing that mission that like everybody was talking about last year uh, with the time shifting. And I didn't realize how cool that gimmick or that conceit for that level really is. Uh, so it's, it's, it's super weird. Like I, I could play an entire game, I think, like built around this sort of time shifting like slaughter uh, that's, that's <laughs> happening in this game. Uh, and it's really, really cool because it does force you to think, uh, as Doc Brown would say, like fourth dimensionally. Oh, yeah. Uh, so like you will find impassable barriers in the present that are open in the past and vice versa. And it's really, really cool when you've got two separate gunfights happening in the same space in different time periods. And so you've got to keep like zipping around the room and remembering where you left things the last time you were in that timeline. Oh, that's really It's cool. this real, yeah, it's it's also like teaching me how bad I am at thinking fourth dimensionally. <laughs> like I am continually like surprised by literally like I will jump time timelines, go fight something for like five seconds, jump in, back into the other timeline and be totally like, oh, that's right. These, those guys were all over here where I just like winked back into existence and I got shotgunned in the face. Oh. Uh, so just like Danica. Oh. But man, it, it is some, Rip. like, that is some real murder. Because uh, that is, the game does a great job of um, giving you lots of little audio cues as well as to just how you are breaking the reality of the people you are just like buzzsawing through. And so you'll like come back into their time timeline and they'll be like looking at your last known position and like, he's got some sort of cloaking tech. And then you sort of like, you know, walk up like behind them, kill two more jump timelines. It's really great. Um, it's, they're probably smart in sort of limiting your exposure uh, to how long you are, you are playing this. Uh, so the gimmick doesn't get tired, but it did make me think: like, what would an entire, uh, what would an entire shooter based around this sort of like, uh, you know, temporal flexibility look like? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, how ambitious could you get? Especially because in Titanfall Two, like, it is seamless. So I am really curious, like, what a, um, you know, if you were to make a version like got an immersive sim that operated this way, where you could be like. Like Danielle, like imagine Prey, oh, but you can explore the space station like back when everyone's alive and doing shit, and like then go back to the post-disaster scenario and like have 
had like enacted changes. Oh my god, that gosh. would be so cool. That would be that's what the coolest. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's going on here. Yeah, I I sort of had that same reaction. I remember uh, Patrick actually wrote a really cool thing about that level uh, back in November, maybe December, end of year time. And, you know, there, there was this whole idea of, like, oh, it's good that it doesn't overstay its welcome because it's so cool. But, like, what if it was iterated upon? What if it was actually, you know, sort of that was a core mechanic yeah. of this game, of the entire game, and it was iterated upon in such a way that it doesn't get stale? The level design supports it or, or you know, something about it changes in each level. That would be the coolest thing ever. <laughs> hey, game devs, you know, <laughs> I always, you know, whenever something like that comes up, I'm sure it was very difficult to implement. And I actually read that piece because it, it talks a little bit about how it was implemented. They actually basically built two versions of the same level on top of each other, you know, sort of the geometry is actually sort of lying on top of each other. Oh, and you're sort of warping between the two as you're doing the time warps. And I'm, I'm super oversimplifying it, but it, it that's sort of how it was constructed. And I love stuff like that. So yeah, just build two games. You know, game devs just build two games on top of each other. It'll yeah, be fine. No worries. So easy. No. Being facetious. But yeah, <laughs> uh, that's super rad. Do you want to talk more about Battle Brothers? Or are you, have you had enough Battle Brothers oh, at this point? You're still kind of in it to win it? No, I'm like, I'm still, I'm, I'm still really enjoying it. I think it's a great uh, party based RPG. I just don't think uh, its world building is very good. Like those reservations I had. You know, at the start of the week, <sighs> they haven't gotten worse, but I am like more convinced of my read. That this is not a thoughtfully constructed world in a lot of ways, and it's kind of uncritically adopting this, um, you know, faux grimdark uh, man. Like everything's just shitty in this fake Middle Ages, uh, and we're gonna really make sure that like you're aware that it's shitty for like women in particular mm. when we deign to acknowledge them. But then we don't have a critique. We have nothing right. to say about that. It's like the exploitation of classes of people is like flavor. And like uh, if that's the yeah. only flavor you've got, if that's the only like and and that's the thing, like everything you put in the game, you chose to put there, and then you didn't even think like anything that's not there, you you either rejected or you, you didn't think to put in. Uh Battle Brothers makes some iffy choices about that, which is a shame because it's a great freaking game mm. like it's uh it keeps forcing you to change up how you play it uh so it doesn't have xcom 2 maybe got a little better with this but with the original xcom sometimes it felt like once you had your preferred strategy and your preferred like squad loadout you kind of had a standard operating procedure that you did again and again and again and you just adapted it to different sorts of enemies Battle Brothers keeps forcing you to change up your tactics, change up your your weapons are your tactics, which is the, mm -hmm. kind of the cool thing here. So, like, if you have a spear, uh, for instance, you can do this sort of auto attack thing where anyone entering an adjacent hex gets an gets an attack on them. Um, if you take the spear out, that ability goes away, and a different weapon ability comes in. So it's not like your character has innate abilities. It's just uh, you know how they're how they're equipped, mm. uh, which means that every time you're sort of thinking about loadouts, you're completely changing what your tool set is in the game, and then enemies have that same stuff. So you need to be thinking about how are you how are you going to uh, you know match up against this this force. One of the most terrifying things I've encountered so far is um, necromancers. Oh, mm. 
Yeah, because they will <laughs> We're both hide. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like because they will hide behind like a wall of uh, well, to start out like usually like human henchmen, and then as those guys die off, they'll just keep getting rezzed. Mm. And if you do not somehow figure out, like, if you're only managing to kill them off one by one, you will never make progress. So you've got to figure out, like, how to kill off a bunch all at once and then sprint for that dude. But in the meantime, there's, like, zombies rising up at your feet. And, like, it's it's scary in a way that's, like, kind of amazing for a hex-based, like, tactical war game in some ways. Like, <laughs> it's really fraught. Uh, which which I really dig. And so, um, yeah, I'm completely like sort of at odds with myself over Battle Brothers. I think I've just, I've kind of reached a point where I'm sort of holding my nose at some of the content mm, and sure. just enjoying a damn good like RPG mercenary sim. It's a difficult thing to contend with. I mean, we talked about it obviously on Monday, but yeah. it's a difficult thing to contend with when it's like, oh, yeah, the mechanics feel so good or, or something about the game is really, really compelling. And then it's like, oh, and then you brought in your shitty politics or your, your you know, you, you brought something in as flavor text when it's actually like, this is shitty, you know, that's yeah. not easy. Maybe not even like shitty politics, but just like thoughtless. Like yeah, like a like, thoughtless inclusion, yeah. exactly, yeah. No more thoughtless inclusions. I, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Tacoma, a game I am enjoying mm-hmm. and have to put a disclaimer. I know some of the devs. I'm friendly with some of the devs. So, you know, disclaimers all over the place. Like, imagine like a big banner that's mm-hmm. just like, disclaimer, you know, <laughs> right over my head, a little rainbow disclaimer. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more on Monday because I think actually Patrick, I know Patrick has played it. I think Austin has played it too. Uh, but I really like Tacoma. Fucking shocker. Uh, it is a game. It is definitely a sort of evolution of the walking sim, I think is a, a fair thing to say, oh. uh, because it's a very narrative-based game where you are mostly walking around or floating around. It's not a spaceship, so there's some floating, uh, and sort of discovering the story around you. Uh, but I think it's actually a really cool evolution of that. And, and of course, this is from uh, Fulbright, who made Gone Home, another game that I love. Again, that's not a shocker, um, because that was very much like one of the the great walking sims of the you know of the era. You know, something that did its storytelling, I think, very very well and very very effectively. Um, and whereas Gone Home was set in the '90s in a house, uh, it was very deliberately set in the '90s because of of how tactile certain things were. You know, people weren't on computers all the time at this point, so there's a lot more written notes around the house. There's a lot more sort of written letters and journals and diaries and, you know, things are written down on paper and things that you can kind of look at. And that was deliberately why it was in the 90s. It was kind of the last era where, oh, it's easy to do that without using like, oh, you have to have like a phone interface mm-hmm. or, or that kind of thing. This is using, this is sort of a set in the future and has this really cool AR interface uh, where it feels more like uh, interactive theater than sort of a radio drama that you're walking through because you're actually seeing characters interacting in this sort of VR uh, interface and they get around a lot of animation stuff by just having very simple models. It's just sort of like, oh, this is, you know, this person, but you're not seeing, you know, like lip animation or anything like that. So oftentimes you go into a room and you're sort of, you know, piecing together what happened on this space station. Nobody's there anymore. It's a corporate sta- uh, space space. Space Station. I'm saying I'm saying words here, um, and it's set in this corporate dystopia where like Amazon has taken over so much. <laughs> like Amazon has its own university and all this other stuff, and corporations rule the world, and it's not very different from what we live in now, but it's it's more extreme. Um, and 
something bad happened. And so you have to figure out what it is. So you walk into a room and you can press X or press whatever button and it'll start playing out basically like this little play in front of you. You can you can move around, you can look around, you can look at the notes, you can look at different things that are happening in the environment. And whenever a character brings up their own AR interface, you can interact with that and sort of discover more information. You can look at chat logs, you can look at, you know, what they were surfing the internet on. You can kind of look at all these different things. And that adds another dimension of like, oh, you have to actually get the timing right for when they brought up their interface. You have to watch the whole thing and then actually kind of be like, oh, okay, so here is when the blue person did this and brought up their AR interface. And so I can learn more about them at that point. Or this is when the green person walked to this other room. You can follow them to the other room basically and see what happened there. It's really, but really if I cool. Miss that, if I miss that timing, do I have to watch the end? No, you can rewind, fast forward at any okay. point. It's great. And it's actually like, oh, this would be like a perfect version of interactive theater, like a sleep no more or something like that where, oh, oh, I missed something. Let me just rewind back. And then, oh, I, I want to see what happens in this room. I didn't miss it. I can just go right into it. I think it's actually very clever and very well implemented. Uh, and it feels interactive in a, in a pretty rich and interesting way. It's not just looking at stuff, but it's you know actually kind of having the timing to, to mm -hmm. go and follow people and, and that sort of thing. So I think it is actually adding quite a bit to, to the genre, but in a good way. It's not just sort of adding extra mechanics or extra features to something just to have extra interactivity. It's like, no, this actually makes sense for this interface and for what this world would look like. So I think that's rad. Uh, I'll probably talk more about the actual content of the story, which I also think is very well done, but I'll talk about that probably more on Monday. Because, again, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter cast. But you had a question, so I let's do curious. that first. Yeah, is yeah. it, like, is it spooky? Because, like, like, it's a deserted space <laughs> station. So, yeah. like, I'm trying to imagine that setting not being creepy, uh, and I'm failing. It's a, It can be a tiny bit creepy. It's definitely not, like, a horror. I'm about two hours in, which I'm probably about halfway. I play these things slow because I like to look at every little thing and hear every little snippet of conversation because that's the, We're that's the, the point. We're both in the 40-plus hours prey. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so. definitely. And, and that's the pleasure of being in these spaces. Like, I'm not necessarily – you know, going to do that in every game I play, but games where, like, oh, right. the story is the point and, and looking at all the details is the point. Um, so I'm probably about halfway in, and it's not really spooky. It's more... It's, it feels more like a mystery than a horror kind of thing. Like, oh, what the hell happened here? I hope they, you know, I hope they did whatever it is they had to do to figure things out. It's not like Soma, which was deeply existentially terrifying, or like a haunted house where it's, you know, jump scares and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it's... Very compelling, though. I think the storytelling is, is very good, and I think it draws you in pretty well. At least it drew me in uh, very, very effectively. All right. I think we should do one question from the bucket. Like I said, we're do doing a little bit of a quicker cast today. We're having a, having a good time. Uh, Natalie, since it's your last day, give me a number. Give me a good number. Aww. Between one and I think we're in, like, the early 50s here. Let's take a look. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Yeah, like low 50s, like 54 or so. Mm, I'm going to do my lucky number, 33. 33 is a great number. That's my age. Just, you know, I'm letting you know. It's real good. <laughs> good Danielle facts right here. All right, we got a good long one for 33. All right. Good. And I think, I think Rob, you'll have, you'll have ideas here. <sighs> Taking a breath. Taking a breath. Taking a moment. All right. Waypoint to lists. This is, comes from, in, uh, from Evan. This is about Battlefield 1, but the question is relevant and the topic has been bothering me all year. 
This year, there was a lot of hubbub about how EA handled the Battlefield 1 rollout and whether they were sensitive enough with such a horrible war as World War I. Here's my thing. World War I was terrible, sure, as are all wars, Patrick said. 17 million dead, 8 million missing or imprisoned, 21 million wounded. However, almost everyone who fought in or was directly affected by that war is dead, meaning, like, is dead now. Uh, World War II, on the other hand, had over 60 million killed, perhaps up to 80 million. You can imagine the missing, imprisoned, and wounded. It also had the rape of, uh, it's Nanjing, right? Nanjing? Uh, 1937, so you may not count it. Uh, The two atomic bombs dropped on Japan and the Holocaust. Uh, Thus, World War II, by all metrics, was far worse than World War I. And people directly affected by World War II are still alive today. For instance, uh, Eli Wiesel just died last year. To me, this idea of handling World War I sensitively is bupkis. And this person says, yes, I'm Jewish. It's one of the things where people fear offending people, but in reality, nobody's being offended. Like, I firmly support trigger warnings, but sometimes there just aren't people to be triggered. See, for example, the idea that people are offended by Merry Christmas. They just aren't. Uh, Meanwhile, World War II games... Come out with gleeful violence, sometimes comedy, and no considerations uh, for reverence or respecting the source material. Wolfenstein The New Order, uh, to take an example off the top of my head. I've never seen publishers or developers wring their hands about the content of World War II, which again was the one with the Nazis. The question... Is this a function of Battlefield 1 coming out at a time when social media has completely pervaded our lives, unlike, say, when Call of Duty 5 came out, the last AAA World War II game that I can think of? Should we expect to see this kind of walking on eggshells occur if, the, if and when another World War II game comes out? Uh, if that's not to be expected, what's the explanation for this panic around Battlefield 1? The whole thing seems wildly con- inconsistent, and frankly, it's left me, as a Jewish person, responding to everyone's concern about handling the subject matter correctly with... Are you kidding me? What about the Holocaust? That's rarely ever even included in a World War II game. Thank you so much. I love your thoughtful coverage and discussion of politics in a space where many tiptoe around. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Found it. All right. Thank you, Evan. Good, meaty-ass question right there. Whew. Yeah. So basically, Robo, which kind of sums it up here, why did World War One raise such? Well, I'll just read what she said. Yeah. Uh, what they said. Uh, World War One raised such heckles with Battlefield One when there's not similar things with World War Two. Uh, now, so I'm trying to remember exactly what. Again, some of these are old. Uh, I believe part of the problem was the way there was like a really flippant ad. Uh, it, p- part of the campaign, the ad campaign, showed, like, a dude with a flamethrower that was, like, get crispy. There was some, like, barbecue joke. Oh, there was, like, a geez. really, really off-color joke that was, like, okay, this is war. Like, people died. People were burned to death. And that's not funny. That's, like, holy shit. That was, like, a really poorly uh, thought of ad. So, so part of this, if I'm remembering correctly, was actually the advertising for the game and not as much the game itself. So that's, that is part of this. I think that is part of what's going on here. But I also, 
might be missing some of this as well. And I and I think Evan has a really good point here about like, yeah, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of survivors of World War II around. There's a lot of repercussions of that war still happening. And yeah. may, maybe that's a good point that certain things might need a little more reference because folks are still fucking alive, yeah. you know, from that time. But also, how about we just treat wars seriously? Seriously? Like, <laughs> yeah. all wars that have happened? Like, I don't know. I, like, maybe not all. I mean, I don't know. Like, how far back, where's the line? Like, how far back can you go and say, okay, this war is fine to, like... Want to joke about the Romans? You yeah, know, the ancient like, Romans? Like, joke about Romans? Like, I don't know. Uh, I just... That makes me, I don't know, I, th- I think there still are, like, implications of World War One For like, sure. Yeah. World War Two for sure, like, the Cold War, for sure, like, anything in the last century, yeah, those things are still, but, like, also, the Civil War, like, still sure has, still has a lot of repercussions, now. yeah. And, like, uh, I just, I don't like the idea that we're, like, thinking of, like, when, when is it okay? Like, how about, how about we just treat treat serious things seriously and not and not like sort of chip at their chip at their integrity and also of like the people that they will undeniably affect or right. the, the the people that will be undeniably affected by your um sort of like joking with or yeah 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 rob what are you what are you thinking about this yeah i mean i i think like first, I like I totally agree with that position. The stuff needs to be handled like with care and respectfully. But then at the same time, I also have to acknowledge that there's this part of me that sometimes just wants to like roast Nazis in the raddest way possible. <laughs> um, and like, and that's not me. Like, and and I know like there's no like mm, this truly honors the the sacrifices of uh, people who fought the Nazis or the you know the memory of their victims watch me get this sweet execution kill. Like, that's just not how any of this this works. And so, like, I don't know, is there, you know, is there ethical fatalities uh, in a game under, you know, uh, under capitalism? But the, the other aspect of this is that World War II, I think, we had this delusion that it was uncontested space, that, like, we were all on the same page. Simplified view, yeah. Yeah, that the the bad guys were real bad and the people who fought those bad guys were real good uh, mm. in general. Like they, they, they were on the side of the angels. And also there was an, there was an assumption that um, nobody like nobody could possibly identify with the, the bad guys or, or share any of their values, which mm-hmm. is a whole other story. World War One, I, I think there is an understanding that this is more complicated history in some ways than, or it's remembered as being uh, a more complicated history. And the other thing is that everyone, everyone's memory of World War One is that it does not have a happy ending. It's, there is no, there is no triumphant or redemptive narrative with World War One the way you can sort of pretend that World War Two did lead uh, to, to some sort of like redemptive, redemptive or meaningful uh, conclusion, and so when you had when you had EA sort of romanticizing uh, World War One, which is really the first war where you see uh, killing on an industrial uh, nationwide scale uh, in some ways, and then when you've got when you've got Peter Moore 
uh, wearing his Battlefield 1 hoodie. Right. Uh, and, and writing that trench warfare requires specialty equipment and clothing, which historically meant gas masks uh, so that your lungs Jeez. didn't get chemically uh, burned out. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, that's that's something, you know, and then that's being used to sell, I think, a hoodie that had a Mountain Dew in Dorito's pocket? But I can't remember for sure. Cool. Uh, that's, that's like stuff, outside yeah. the game now. Like, that's like... Well, that, that's, that's also the, aver- you know, like yeah, the advertising like, campaign, like, stuff around is, it. Yeah. yeah, this is like... It's it's what like when you said the whole like barbecue thing and then like you uh, Rob with the hoodie like these are like now like the way that people are taking like the content or the like context of the game and like now they're putting it into this advertising space so they have to make it like spicy hot like you mm-hmm. you want to like attract attention and now that's where like the perversions are coming from like that's where the like like. The the like maybe it's not within Battlefield One as much, but it's the way that we're advertising Battlefield One as like that's the way we're trying to grab people's attention is like through like comedic kind of parody of like real military things, um, right? And it's making it a fun game too, which I think is the other part of this that's always really really hard. And, and Rob, you can speak to this as somebody who plays probably more realistic war-related games than I do, right? You play these strategy games that are actually, like, on some level, you know, dealing with some of the realism of moving armies around and actually, you know, sort of going about the business of being a general. Um, There's that whole idea of, okay, uh, we're we're playing at war here, right? Like, we're we're doing a pleasurable activity that is taking some of its cues Mm -hmm. from you know, death and dying of a lot of people. And I don't know if, obviously, that's not something you have to, like, answer. Like, oh, here's my stance on playing at war. But that's always going to be a part of this, right? Making war fun, making war a fun activity is what game designers do in a yeah. lot of cases, right? So there's there's a line there, too, that I, I also, I don't know exactly where I fall on that, for but, like, sure. the military, like, the strategy games that you play, Rob, like, those aren't instant gratifications. Those are, like, things that you have to, like, work and it's like grueling, and then it's a long process to get to some sort of a like an advantageous position. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but like in Battlefield One, that there's an instant gratification of like you like picking off enemies and and it having like an immediate effect. Whereas I feel like in larger like war simulation games, it's much more like m- macro than micro, right? Like in terms yeah. of like I don't know. You, well, I mean, it's yeah. You're de- you're definitely not trying to create that like visceral satisfaction mm-hmm. of like, yeah, I just murdered that guy. Yeah, uh, right. you know, killed <laughs> killed that Austrian dog. Right. Uh, you know, uh, which, which, by the way, Battlefield One has a weirdly charged uh, chat. Some bars. Oh. For yeah. Battlefield game. Yeah. Uh, which does make me like it makes me question uh, what ha- like what happens to people like how people are engaging with any of this stuff. What I usually tell myself is that, yeah, one, a lot of strategy games and war games are not trying to create that um, that same sensation, although the best ones kind of are. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, the most enjoyable ones are still creating the excitement and uh, elation of, like, when, you know, an armor-piercing shell blasts the hell out of a, you know, German Tiger tank. That's a great moment. Mm-hmm. And it might be in a little more of a dry, uh, you know, or academic setting, but it still feels uh, really exciting. Mm -hmm. I think 
where like the thing I've always told myself is that like my interest in this stuff also exists independently of the games. Like I'm not just engaging with this stuff in the video game land, but I also try to be like just as my like my own personal interests sort of align in this way where I'm also generally pretty well informed about like the the actual history at play. Mm-hmm. Um but I also do wonder about like if you go to a wargaming forum or something some of the ways in which people interact with this material is still really concerning. Like it can still be a really dry and academic hex based war game. And yet you'll still see people like what ends like, yes, it's still this macro level thing, but it ends up also the game becomes about like the prowess of the adversaries. And that can easily go some icky places as well. When you're talking about, you know, the prowess of, you know, the, the Wehrmacht under the Nazis. Um, just, one last thing, I just so I'm reading this book, um, "A Mad Catastrophe," by uh, Jeffrey uh, Walrow, who good historian uh, covers a lot of the uh, stuff around the start of World War One that tends to get overlooked. And it's this book about the Austria uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire and the start of World War One. And I just finished this section about the Austrians' early campaigns in um, in Poland against the Russians, and it's just it's mind-boggling. This is the opening you know, parts of the war. And there's battles where like 40,000 men on a side will become casualties. And it doesn't even like get mentioned as a battle. Like it is something that happens like in half a paragraph where it's like, yeah, they tried to attack here and were repulsed with heavy casualties. 80,000 people combined, hundred thousand people were just like, they're dead or maimed or something. And the thing that comes through in this book is that it's all meaningless, right? Like this is, and it's terrifying because you realize for a lot of people who get swept up in this shit, this is a human life and your life built to this moment where for the dumbest possible reasons, under the command of the most incompetent, shittiest people, uh, you end up getting, you know, <laughs> like worked to death marching around in the summer heat and then die for no good reason. And that's the experience of most people who get caught up in these wars. And most games are about imparting greater meaning to that and imposing like a rationality on it that often doesn't exist. And I think the Mm. thing that troubles me about games is that they often create the illusion of responsibility or competence Mm -hmm. uh, in history when in a lot of times, a lot of cases uh, that's just not the case. And I think that might be the, the the lesson they're quietly teaching that bothers me most of all is that they they teach you to revere or or see the wrong things in history um, that you know are illusory. That's that Troy Goodfellow secret lesson right there. Yeah, hidden curricula. Hidden yeah. curricula. That's right. I always like yep. simplify it in my mind. Like, oh yeah, the secret lesson. Um, yeah, that is extremely. Well said, thank you. And I and I don't think anything I could say is going to top that, other than <laughs> Natalie, you've been awesome. So I'm really glad that you're our intern. And I'm sad. I'm sad. Truly your being last good day. at it. <laughs> That's Living all I can those say. Those waypoint values. You know, you got some good waypoint values. This is what I'm saying. Uh, so again, we're we're keeping it a little bit shorter today. Hopefully, it was a good dense nugget of podcast. 
We, I felt like we got some good discussion in there. So, uh, Natalie, again, thank you so much for being the raddest intern ever in the universe. I'm sorry I don't have a cake right here for you. Uh, that was my bad. Uh, maybe we'll go get you a cake. Well, mime a cake. You know, we do enough improv. There might the still street. be some sort of like candy in There's the break be. room or something. Here's like, some stale just Kit Kats. Just a candle into a thing of like <laughs> M&M's. Yeah, there you and, go. And like just light a it up. A vice mug of M&M's yeah. and a little. <laughs> there it is. You know, we'll put a little coffee stir in there. That's yeah. a candle, kid. Sounds good. Uh, where can people find you? And and should they, you know, go follow you so they can see all the cool things that you do in your yeah, life? Yeah, definitely. Right. Def- uh, it's at Natalie Watson on Twitter. Awesome. Rob, how about how about you? Where can people find you? Uh, at Rob Zachney. Awesome. You can find me if you want to at Danielle R.I. And I'm going to say a quick shout out to Rob, our producer, the other Rob right here. Rob, what's your Twitter, your Twitter again? I want to make sure we get this. Rob K. Schulte. Rob K. Schulte on Twitter.com. Shout outs to Bowen for letting us use his track Miss You off of the EP Pale Machine. I did that without having to look at the thing. Danica is waving goodbye. Well, Danica, where can people find you online? You can find me uh, online at Waypoint and secondary, secondarily at Danica Harrod. Oh man, she got a primary and a secondary. Things are going really well. You can find us on Waypoint um, Twitter, of course. That's Danica and also us. It's a collective. It's very special. Uh, Waypoint <laughs> Vice Waypoint on Facebook. Yeah, Waypoint Collective. You know, you know what's up on YouTube. Waypoint Vice and of course all the beautiful things that we do at Waypoint.Vice.com. Please do read our article. It really means the actual world to us. It makes us really happy when you do that. When you when we when we see that people are actually reading and engaging, we've got forums. Those are awesome too. Please go to them. Thank you, everybody. I want you to have a good, safe weekend. I want you to be be good to other people. And uh, I'm just gonna change my my ending forever. Are you ready? I want you to be good and be good at it. Peace. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.